So we are looking at, at the moment, a little mini-series at the Holy Spirit, wanting to understand more about him and how we can have more of him in our lives and in the life of our church. Um, We've had one message on this already a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't heard that one, please catch up online because they build on each other as we follow this series. It is the Spirit who keeps us alive spiritually. Without the Spirit in us, our faith is a pretty lifeless thing, and we will not grow. And it's the Spirit who keeps us focused on the right things. If we neglect him, we very quickly start focusing on the wrong things and get taken off down wrong paths, which are the wrong priorities. The Spirit is the life force of our faith. He is the presence of God living in us, and we want to seek more of him in all of us. So last time, uh, when we started our series, we looked at these three things. We saw that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some kind of energy force. He is a person with a unique identity and character. And we saw that the Holy Spirit is God. Because we don't believe in a trinity that consists of a father who is fully God and a son who is fully God and a third part that is somehow something less. The Holy Spirit is fully God in the same way that the father and the son are fully God. And we saw that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in us. He is the living presence of God in us. God makes his home in us through the Holy Spirit. And through him, we have the presence of Jesus with us and in us. Jesus told his disciples, we we saw this, that although he was going, he wouldn't abandon them or leave them alone. That he would send someone to them who would be everything to them that he had been and who would be the the way in which Jesus would still be present with them. And we saw that this is for us today as well. We have inherited the baton that was given to the disciples in Acts 1. And the Holy Spirit that was given to them is given to us too. So let's read from scripture and then we'll dig in a bit more. There's no obvious single reading when you're preaching on the Holy Spirit. He's often just mentioned in a single sentence, in amongst other things, a few words here and there, quite scattered. So last time we read some verses from John 14 and John 16 and Acts 1. Today I'm going to read from Ephesians, a couple of short readings from Ephesians and then some verses from Romans. And you'll notice that the Spirit features in each of these readings, so watch out for each place where the Spirit is mentioned. So first of all, Ephesians chapter 1. We had this verse last time, Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Are you able to move the slides on for me uh, while I read? Thank you. And when you believed in Christ, 
He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Now over the page to Ephesians chapter 5. A few verses from Ephesians chapter 5. I'm reading from verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And now into Romans. Romans chapter 8. Some verses from the middle of that chapter, from verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and breathe upon us. This is your time now. We are here for you. We are ready to meet with you and we are ready to be filled. Come and teach us. And as we listen, make yourself more real to us, we pray. We want more of you in us. In the name of Jesus, we seek you. Amen. So I want to look first today at those verses from Romans that we just read. There is something here in that passage that the Holy Spirit does, which is very simple, but really very profound. So verse 15, there it is. Verse 15, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Father, Abba. And verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So there can be no doubt that if we have believed in Jesus, that we are God's children. And that's not just a warm, fuzzy thing that sounds kind of nice. It means that he gives us the full identity of fully belonging to him, fully belonging in his family, and all of the rights and the privileges of being an actual son or daughter. He has written his name on us. Like maybe, I don't know if you used to do this, like maybe you used to write your name inside the front cover of a book when you were a child, or on a toy, or a precious possession, so everyone would know if they found it that this is yours. 
Now look at verse 16. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are his children. The Holy Spirit gives to us, to believers, the deepest and highest assurance we can have that our salvation is real, that this is true. What this bit of Romans is telling us is that the Holy Spirit tells us in a way that is unmistakable and leaves no room for any doubt that we belong to God. It is the Holy Spirit in us who gives us the inner assurance that we really are his, that we are claimed we are included and that God loves us with an everlasting love that can never be shaken, never withdrawn, stolen or stopped or replaced. That we are held for all eternity in that love. The love that took Jesus all the way to the cross for us. Outsiders do wonder, don't they? How we can have such certainty. Certainty about things that to them just sound like some kind of furry tale or deluded fantasy. They think we're deluded. It's not that we're just better at deluding ourselves than they are. It's because we have something that they don't have. Something that they can never understand until they experience it for themselves. And that is the Spirit. It is the Spirit living in us who makes this alive to us. Who tells us and shows us with certainty that it is real and we're not just fooling ourselves. It is the spirit who keeps that conviction alive in us in the strongest and fiercest of storms. We do question it sometimes, don't we? I think we all have moments when we wonder, what if I am just kidding myself? What if it is just a delusion? It's not a sin to have doubts sometimes. But when life is falling apart around our ears, when the ground is giving way beneath your feet, if we only have our own human words and human feelings to convince us that God is still God and we do still belong to him and that we're still held, that can never be enough. It isn't strong enough. Our human capacity is not enough. When we're in the storm, the forces of darkness will scream at us that it's not true, it can't be true, it's all been a sham. And we cannot withstand that on our own. We need the Spirit in us, alive and working in us, to plant that certainty in us so deeply that it cannot be rooted out, let the powers of darkness try as they might. God has given us his spirit, and it is the spirit who gives us that conviction that this love is true. 
if you need more of that conviction today. You may be sitting here today and feeling that you don't really feel that strong. You don't really have that strong conviction. It's there, but it's a bit weak and watery sometimes. So let's look at what we need to do. We're going to move to the verses that we read from Ephesians 5. And there's really just six words from that passage that I want to focus on today. Here they are. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an instruction. It's something that we need to do. But at the same time, it's, it's passive because we are not the one doing the filling. We are the one receiving the filling. Now, if we just read this bit of Ephesians 5 on its own, we might assume that these Ephesian Christians that Paul is writing to haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. And that's why Paul is telling them that they need to get filled. But when we read Ephesians 5 in conjunction with Ephesians 1, we can see that that can't be what it means. God has identified them as his own by giving them the Holy Spirit when they believed in Jesus. It is part of their fundamental identity of belonging to God that they have been given the Holy Spirit. So this bit in chapter 5 can't mean that they haven't got it yet. But now in chapter 5, Paul tells them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They've received him, but now there is the search and the desire for more. There's the work of allowing the Spirit to truly be in command. Receiving him is not the end of the story, it's just the beginning. And the desire for more is vital. There is more for us to experience and receive. But we have to work at it. Like anything that's really worth having, it takes effort. There is so much more for you to experience and discover wherever you are at in your faith journey today. But you've got to seek it. We need to show that we're serious to God and to ourselves. We need to show that we really want this and that we're prepared to give our time and our energy and our commitment to seeking this, to seeking more of him in us. The Holy Spirit is not a hobby. It's not an interest on the side that we can just pick up sometimes when we feel like it, when we've got time, but not bother about it when we don't feel like it or when we haven't got time. The word that is used in chapter 5 for be filled is in a continuous tense. So we might say, keep on being filled. Keep on being filled. It means a continuous action, an ongoing getting filled that needs to keep on happening and we need to keep on striving for. 
And although we are to be filled, we cannot do the filling. It's not in our power to do that. Only God can do it. We have to ask. And we have to keep on asking so that we can keep on being filled. Have a look at this verse from Luke 11. Now this comes at the end of the passage that we looked at not long ago on prayer, when we were looking at prayer. And God is being compared negatively to the grumpy neighbour, if you remember, who doesn't want to get out of bed to help his friend, but in the end he grudgingly does and gives him what he needs. Jesus says how much this is not like God. If even a grumpy neighbour will, in the end, give you something you ask for, how much more will God give to us? And look at what it specifically says. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the supreme gift that we can ask him for. Because by asking for this, by asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we are asking for ever more of him in us. We are handing over more and more control in our lives, more and more letting go of the things that we held on to before, more and more letting him have his way in filling us. When we are single-mindedly seeking to yield the whole of ourselves to him, to bringing self totally and entirely under him, that's when we'll be ready to be filled. And so I want us to understand what kind of asking this is that we need to do. How do we do it? We need to ask to be filled, but we need to understand what we're doing in that asking. So let's explore the nature of our asking. First of all, our asking needs to be total. Got a little visual aid over here. I hope I've brought everything in. Zoom people may not be able to see this. This is what came into my mind as I was thinking about this this week. I want to fill these two jugs with water. You can see what's going to happen, can't you? I've got some water in my bucket. One of the jugs has got all sorts of things in it. I've got some ball pool balls, some bits of Duplo that I found in the sparklers room. Just things to fill the jug, really. But as I fill it, those things are still there. This jug is empty. And as I fill it, perhaps you can see which jug is going to be truly filled with the water. And which jug has things 
But it getting in the way. Which one of those jugs has more water in it? For a jug to be filled with water, anything else that might be inside it needs to be removed. Like salvation, like grace, the Holy Spirit is free, but he's not cheap. Being filled with him comes at the cost of letting go and emptying ourselves of other things. Filling implies totality. If there are still things in us that we're hanging on to, we can't be filled. The Spirit isn't interested in part-filling us. He's not interested in sharing space with whatever other clutter we might be holding on to. There can be no areas of limits when we ask for the Holy Spirit. We need to ask holding nothing back and being prepared to get rid of the things in us that block and get in the way. Maybe you feel that there aren't any of those things in you. Well, congratulations for that. I hope it goes really well for you. We cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit while we are still holding on to things within ourselves. It needs to be a total opening, a total surrender, letting go of the things that we've been holding on to before. Second thing about our asking. So it needs to be total. Secondly, it needs to be open-handed, our asking. What I mean by that is that we have to understand that we can ask, but we cannot determine the outcome. We don't get to determine when or how the filling happens and what form it takes. By definition, if you will only accept a dramatic physical happening as evidence of the Holy Spirit filling you, then clearly you haven't surrendered control yet because you're still trying to control it. Our asking has to be open for the Spirit to come in whatever way he chooses to make himself known to us in any way he chooses and to work in us and change us in any way he chooses. Our part is to ask, but we need to ask with genuine openness and humility and willingness to be shown something new that might not be what we expected. Thirdly, in our asking, it needs perseverance. Let's notice that that line from Luke 11 that we just looked at, that is spoken in the context of prayer. Jesus teaching about prayer. And that's not a coincidence, that's not insignificant. Our asking needs to be rooted in prayer. Prayer that is seeking and searching 
for God's heart and more of him in us. And like all prayer, we need to keep going with it. We'll never get anywhere if we pray once to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then give up because nothing obvious has happened, so obviously it hasn't worked. We cannot turn him on like a tap. It's not at our own volition when we decide. It takes much more commitment than that. God needs to see our determination in this, our commitment to finding him and not giving up. There's a parable, isn't there, about a woman who lost a coin. We did it in Messy Church not long ago. She may have nine other coins, but that's not enough. It's this tenth one she wants. And she sweeps the house from end to end, and when she still doesn't find it, she lights a lamp so that she can see into every dark corner until she finds it. There's a parable about a man finding treasure in a field. And when he realizes the value of what's there, he goes and sells all that he has so that he can own that field and own the treasure that's in it. What do those stories tell us about our seeking of God? About what our seeking needs to be like? There is a persistence there, not giving up because the thing that is sought is worth it. It is treasure. And there's a recognition that there is a cost. The effort and commitment and perseverance that we put into our seeking of him, that's the indicator of the value that we place on him. We need to grasp this deep inside. We need a deep conviction that there is more for us, that there is treasure for us, and we're going to do whatever it takes to get it, to find it. We're not going to give up because things don't change as quickly or easily as we would like. Don't assume that because nothing changes immediately, it's therefore not going to happen. God will do it in his time, not yours. There may be things that the Holy Spirit needs to do in you before you're ready for some more visible and obvious things, the things you think you should be looking for. It may take time. God doesn't work to our timetable. If you're going to insist that he does this in your time, then you haven't surrendered control yet. With some humility, we need to pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill me, and I will wait for you. I will keep on seeking you because I believe you want to fill me. Show me what I need to understand about you. And we need to keep on praying. Keep on praying it. Keep on asking him to show you what you need to see and to do something in you. 
fourthly, for our asking. It needs to be a partnership. The Spirit wants to take what we have, the person that we are, and he wants to work with that. It's not a completely passive thing where we just surrender to him and he takes over our body and mind completely and there's nothing else for us to do. There is no sense of becoming a robot or a puppet. The Holy Spirit wants to work in you and with you. He wants to partner with you. He doesn't want to erase you. Because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, as I've heard it said. He will wait to be invited. And he won't do anything in you without your consent. He won't force himself on you. He is courteous and will only work with you. And our asking has to be a cooperative asking because we have to keep on choosing this. Keep on choosing to submit and to yield, to keep on clearing out the things that get in the way. Keep on affirming our commitment to allowing him control in our lives. And it needs to be cooperative because we need to be available for him to use. He wants us to work with him to achieve his purposes. He doesn't want to erase your personhood. He wants to strengthen it. You don't stop being you, but you become a bigger, better, stronger, more glorious, more complete version of you. Isn't that wonderful? And he will use the gifts that he's given you with your cooperation to bless others and to glorify Jesus. So can I ask you if maybe you've sometimes wished for more of the Holy Spirit, that that maybe you've wanted this, but either you didn't know what to do and nothing much seemed to happen of its own accord. Or maybe you did try, but nothing much seemed to happen. If you're in either of those categories, I hope that from the two messages we've had so far, you're starting to get some clarity and some understanding. If you're in the first category here, that it's something that you've wanted but you didn't know what you needed to do, I hope I've given you some signposts. We've understood that we do need to ask and we need to keep on asking. What's involved in the asking are those four things that we've looked at this morning. If you're in the second category here, please don't conclude that because you tried but nothing seemed to happen, that you failed or that this is not for you. I hope that for you there is some fresh understanding here, fresh motivation that God wants to give this to his children and that you will engage with it again. 
I wonder if you can spot one of these four that we've looked at, maybe more than one, that you can see is relevant for you. Is it this first one about totality in your asking? Are there things in you that God needs to deal with that might be getting in the way? If you don't know or if you're not sure, ask him to show you. Are you really committed to finding this treasure, whatever the cost? Is it the second one about open-handedness? What have your expectations been? Do you need to open up your expectations a bit? Have you missed something because you had too fixed an idea of what form this should take? You can't predict or dictate the when or the how of the Holy Spirit's work in you. Is it this third one about perseverance? Did you pray and ask for this, but then give up because nothing obvious happened? Have you demonstrated to God how committed you are to seeking this? That for you, this is the pearl of great price, and you won't give up until you get it. Or is it this one about partnership? It might be difficult for the Holy Spirit to do something in you if you yourself are not doing very much. Sometimes it's when we take a step of trust, of courage, of faith. That's when the Spirit comes to life in us. When we step out in faith, trusting that he will do what he's promised. Sometimes we actually have to get off our backsides and step out of our comfort zone to start to really sense the life of the Spirit in us. Inside a comfort zone is never the most likely place to encounter the Spirit, to encounter more of God. He's not in the comfort zone. He's out there. Next week, We're going to dig into what it is that the Spirit actually does. When we get this filling, which we need to keep asking for, what difference does that make? What does that actually mean in practice? What will we have that we didn't have before? Why do we need it, this filling? But for today... Let's, we're we're going to sing now. Let's just stay seated. We're going to sing consuming, fi- consuming Fire. Let's sing this as a prayer. And then I will pray after the song.